2: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye-overgoings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Darren Driver, the Mateus Click pre-assist of the podcast, generating a transient flurry of joy and positivity. We can't, can we? And I'm joined today by the Mateus Click Sloppy Penalty Conceded the podcast, giving simpletons a chance to work out their mum and dad issues in public. It's John McKenzie. How are you doing, John?
3: What an introduction. I'm doing all right, yeah. And it's true, I, I have on occasion given simpletons a chance to work out their mum and dad issues in public. So yeah, I can't say fairer than that. Should we begin by saying that people should probably just leave Mateus Click alone as a general principle on social media?
2: Well, no. I, I mean, I'm going to extend this a bit further, John, and I'm going to say that that I think that if anybody t- tags any player in any conversation on Twitter, then they probably didn't get enough attention from their parents as children, and, and that <laughs> right. they should just stop doing that and let the players get on with their day. That would be my that would be my personal approach. Now, that might be a bit extremist for some, um, but but yeah, let's just leave people alone, shall we?
3: Yeah, it's too extremist for me. I think we should only not at Mateus, click into social media. Everyone else is fair game. Okay, fair enough.
2: So (laughs) if you want to have a go at Rafinha for giving away the first penalty, have at it. That's what I would say to you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely his fault. But Mateus, click. Leave him alone for the second. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Good stuff. So um, we're going to do another split episode today. So John is going to chair the review section of of yesterday's game v Chelsea, and then I'm going to chair the preview section um, when we talk about our uh, impending doom visit to Manchester City on Tuesday night. Although I'm I might be feeling it's a bit less impending doom uh, after yesterday but I'm sure we'll come to that in a due course. So John do you want to take over and either converse or interrogate me Uh, whichever you feel most like doing
3: (laughs) Yeah there was a conversation last time around but maybe maybe more of an interrogation this time around we'll see how I'm feeling (laughs) I realise I haven't done a summary of the game but um, I'll maybe run through it quickly because um, the game that we're talking about is a a 3-2 loss at the death to Chelsea which was pretty painful. Is that Chelsea's stay the death the The 3-2 loss at the death the Stamford death (laughs) interesting first half I thought Chelsea were, were largely on top but we managed to get that penalty and we were able to hold on fairly comfortably, I thought, until we did what we do when teams press us high at times and and just kind of (laughs) lose all of our sensibility and we conceded just before the halfway mark. Second half, I thought we were maybe a little bit brighter. I think we we pressed a little bit higher in the second half and that caused Chelsea some problems. Obviously, we then had uh, the two penalties uh, against Antonio Rudigo that we've already highlighted in this review um, podcast but I don't really want to argue about penalties I'm not the sort of person that thinks there's any point arguing about penalties I think for the record any three of those penalties if they'd been the other way around for the other team we probably would have argued that one they were ridiculously soft penalties and or two they were nailed on penalties depending on who they were for
2: yeah all i'll say about that is i th- I, th- I do think the last one was soft but if you give put someone a chance to buy a ticket for that then they're going to take it uh, and, they, and they're going to go down so I, th- I think the decision to make the challenge is is the problem there not necessarily the penalty itself
3: i think you could say that maybe of both the penalties that we gave away in the both of them are on Antonio Rudiger and just sort of, I, I suppose maybe one of the, the downsides of our system is that when you're so frenetic it means that you don't have the chance to think about what you're doing as much perhaps or at least that's not encouraged and I think in those situations you've got to think, right, this is Antonio Rudiger, he is a centre-back, he's not going to for a click, roll him and get a good shot away uh, and with Rafinha he's not going to, you know, he, okay maybe he could have put a good ball in, into the into the box but I think in that situation the decision to dive in was was silly I think you just you just get between him and the goal and, and make it hard work for him Leeds scored what I think was probably the best goal that they've scored this season in terms of the system uh, just click click sort of rolling the ball around finding junior junior finding click again click through to, to Roberts and um, Roberts through to um, Gell Hart who scored a really nice goal uh, I noticed that FB ref um, through the stats bomb data had the chance down as a 0.2 xg chance which um, I thought was maybe a little bit low but um, I think given that given that the, it's um, off the ground and um, the keeper is in a good position I think that's probably why it, why it is what it is but it was yeah a really nice goal great to see Joe Galehart getting uh, the, the goal that he very much deserves I was looking again at his FB stats yesterday and he's just he's shot creating and goal creating action involvement is through the roof because he's coming on for short periods and uh, generating decent chances for us so yeah I think it'd be good to see him more often in the future but yeah in the end Chelsea get that that second penalty and and the game is 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 done um and we will no doubt argue about the the unfairness and the unluckiness of, of it all in the conversation let's move on then to that conversation so obviously a poor result darren but it was a good performance wasn't it
2: yeah and i think it's only a poor result in the context of it being a good performance because i think if you'd have said to me before the game without seeing any of the play that this is going to be a 3-2 defeat i would have taken that before before the kickoff because i i like many people had visions of it becoming really ugly and in the first 15 minutes of the game those visions continued because I thought Chelsea were very much on top and I thought there was every possibility that they might uh, overwhelm us. I thought we really steadied the ship 15 minutes and 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 managed to take at least some control back and i'm not saying that we controlled the rest of the first half at all that's not what i'm saying but what but what i do think is that we managed to get some more territory we managed to get up the pitch more often we managed to give them something to think about in transition and and that we defended really well against them throughout throughout the game so i think i think in the first half yeah chelsea were on top but I thought we managed them pretty effectively by and large and really there was really only um the goal and then there was a uh Havertz chance shortly after that Melier saved where where I felt we were in real danger. Um and then in the second half, I have to say I thought we were the better team, um um and managed to impose more of our style on the game in a way that we haven't really managed to do consistently enough throughout the season Um, now that doesn't come without problems because I think think there were still some of the same issues that we've seen this season so far coming through like like we got into again a lot of good positions without creating as many chances from that as you would hope through a combination of like poor execution and poor decision making but overall I thought yeah we pressed more effectively I thought we built up well down the left I thought our defensive work was was really solid throughout most of the game and yeah I think Chelsea are having some problems attacking uh, at the moment as, as a, in the wider context but but whether Thomas Tuchel can get a tune out of his attacking resources is not really our concern I think within the within the within the game itself I thought we managed them really well and and I was absolutely devastated just as everyone else was to to kind of lose out that last that's that last minute penalty because I thought overall and the balance of the game on the way that the game played out, I thought we had deserved a point and and I would have I would have been you know obviously delighted with that. But yeah, a, 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 a very encouraging, very encouraging performance. I don't think it leads back to their best, and I'm not going to buy into that sort of narrative because I think some of the problems that we've seen are still there. But I do think it was a very very strongly encouraging performance, which makes me not quite as worried about the rest of December as I was previously.
3: To what extent do you think that the the penalties influence the the way that we are thinking about this game? I'm just sort of looking at the um again at the FB ref data and if you look at non penalty xG, Chelsea created 1.3, we created 0.6, which does suggest. I mean, again, this is why I don't like necessarily arguing about penalties because you know you can you can argue till the cows come home home about the rub on that. But do you feel on the basis of that non penalty xG that a, a draw would have been fair for Leeds?
2: Just about, because I don't I don't think either team really made many big chances. Um, uh, and so I, th- I think I tend to think about it more in those terms rather than in, in terms of the overall XG, because I think big chances tend to be where, where the game's won and lost more often than not. So I don't think either team made enough big chances to really definitively say that they deserve to win the game is probably where I'd say overall. So, yeah, I think Chelsea probably had more shots and I think they probably had more box shots, more shots from in the box but I don't think enough of them were in really worrying positions um you know, apart from the goal, uh, which I think was probably which probably accounts for quite a big chunk of of their uh, final XG. Um, so yeah, I, I I do think a draw was probably fair um, overall.
3: I guess I'm the the misery guts of all stats, aren't we? And so I suppose the I don't dispute anything that you've said. Um, maybe disagree slightly on Leeds being the better side in the second half, but that again, that's that's there's not much in it. Um, but i suppose that what i'm what i'm wanting to get to the heart of when i'm ro- watching the game back is like what is it specifically that Leeds did well in in that game what was it in in particular because I feel as though like if you look through the questions that some people have been asking there's been questions being like oh this is you know the best this is the best pressing that we did this season right and I watched through the match and I think well you know in the first half Chelsea broke our press really easily Um, in the second half I think we pressed a little bit higher a few times and, and caused some problems but even still like we caused them a few problems and they Pumped the ball long and got a, pen, a throw in further down the field. Um, defensively, like I felt they then they then transitioned quite easily through our midfield. They they got into the final third and and largely messed up. Now we can argue again. The toss on whether or not we think that that's because Leeds were causing them problems, but I I thought that in the final third Chelsea were awful yesterday, um, and I I don't think there's like there's not many moments where I like, like I'm thinking right where did we where did we really defend well in a in a sort of classic backs to the wall defending job we didn't do that really at all we 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 sort we forced them out wide I guess in those moments and I and we slowed them down and we got into a lower block and that worked out well, but again I I, I didn't think that. I think they, they made that easier for us. I think there's there's a lot of decision-making issues. There's a lot of um, poor execution. That's like, the amount of times when they, they tried to clip passes in, in behind the full-back areas and just launched it long and it just ran out for for goal kicks a lot as well. So I, I know I'm being a misery guts here, but like how much of the result yesterday was Chelsea being bad as well?
2: Well, I think one of the things that, and now I've not watched a lot of Chelsea this season, right? So I'm going to say that for, for context. I know they've not been amazing in the last few weeks, but I haven't watched tons of them. So I, I can't speak to the kind of Chelsea narrative of it all, really. But but what I can say is that, that they've got a lot of players who, when they were signed, would be considered elite players, right? And whether they're coming together in, into a team which is... Consistently achieving what it should do, I guess, is is open to debate. But but Bielsa always talks about when we come come up against elite opponents that what we need to do is to make them worse, is to find a way to make them worse than they are. And and I felt we did that yesterday. I felt I felt that I felt that we counter pressed well in the second half. I don't think I don't think our high press in Chelsea's settled possession was 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 that good. I thought we counter pressed reasonably well, and that caused them some problems. Um, I thought that we that that thing about sinking into a block. Um, that that we did, and I think we and the the game that it reminded me most of was the the game at the Etihad last season, where 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 we were forced to to sit in into a low block because we were down to ten, and yesterday I felt that we did that. When you know eleven v eleven but I felt that we did that well, and i think I think that that really denied them space in key areas. Um, I thought that we did quite well to not get dragged around quite a lot because I, th- I thought that Chelsea were trying to rotate and trying to shift positionally but but that, but that by and large we either um passed. Passed men on well and uh, there were a few times when, and you know, Urente was marking Havertz for the for most of the game but there were quite a few times when Urente came out to, to stop a thing, passed him over to Aylin and that worked quite smoothly and we've seen that fall down quite a lot this season already um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I thought that it meant that that more more than we often are able to, we were able to sit into a shape. And then come out of it quite quickly and, and, and decompress quite quickly. I thought we built built up well again, as I said, in the in the left side of the pitch. I thought furpo Harrison and Click when he came on really supported the build up there, and and Roberts also came over to overload. So I thought we were trying to overload that left hand side and did that quite well on a number of occasions, which I think should have led to more chances than it did. Um, so I. I yeah, I I agree with you. I don't I don't think it was an amazing performance. I don't think we pressed super well, but I do think it was a better performance than than I perhaps expected, and a better one than, than we've seen for large swathes of this season so far.
3: Yeah, definitely a better performance than, than I was expecting as well. Um and yeah, long may it continue. Let's move on to the second question then. We did a lineup preview before the game on Twitter and we got it almost right, but for Dallas and Shackleton being the other way round, although I will admit that I did think that that was the least likely of the options that we did discussed. What did you make of the way we set up? I thought it was interesting, and I was trying to think about what
2: might have been the underpinning thought. Really, so I think I think maybe at times um, Shackleton has been found wanting defensively when he's played in the right back area. Um, that that maybe in one on one defending he's not he's not amazing when he gets fronted up. He can't. I think he can be beaten there. Um, and I wonder whether it's just something about wanting. Like, Dallas's stickability in those... I don't think Dallas is amazing defensively, um, but, but I do think that he, he defends in quite a committed way and obviously he's physically quite big in a way that Shackleton isn't, and that means that he can often win duels where, where you think that maybe he's beaten. Um and i also wonder whether it was about trying to get shackleton's mobility a bit higher up the pitch to do that shuttle that shuttling job between up up, up the thirds and um, because i think he's more i think he's quicker than dallas and i think he's more likely to be able to get back to Alonso more quickly than than dallas would be able to do and i also think he does offer us a slight bit more a slight degree of probably a bit more solidity in possession than dallas does i think shackleton's a bit more neat and tidy and 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 will retain possession in a quite a sensible way where Whereas I think Dallas, in keeping with a, a lot of the rest of the team, can quite often go for maybe a, a big knockout pass or try and move things forward a bit, a uh, bit more. So, but I thought it worked reasonably well. I, I think Shackleton's really struggling to to find. A place in the team, isn't he? Where where it where it where it feels like he's going to consistently influence the game. And I don't think he was a huge influence on the game yesterday, but I thought he buzzed around reasonably well um, when when things were coming down Chelsea's left hand side. Um, so yeah, I I think it's a sort of qualified a qualified success, maybe uh, given that he was part of a team that in the first half, although it looked like it might rock and fall over at times, particularly in the early part, did manage to sort of solidify the game and 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 uh, get get back into it. What did you
3: think? Yeah, I guess a couple of things. Firstly, I'll say I agree with you that obviously Shackleton and Dallas have different stylistics. I think Dallas's upside on the ball is that he's quite a good ball carrier um, into space. And I think maybe there was the recognition that that wasn't going to happen higher up the field, and so better to have it from 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 the fullback area. I also noticed yesterday that we were defending very narrowly as a back four. I don't know if you noticed this, but um, that a lot of the get, the game we we had our fullback sort of on the edge of the penalty area, the line of the penalty area. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and they were sort of marking in advance on the wide players when they had to, so they weren't happy to leave those players to have the width. Um, but they were staying pretty narrow, and obviously, like the, the the game plan, I think was to was to try and funnel Chelsea out wide, particularly because Lukaku wasn't playing, I think, um, and and sort of sit, sit narrow and and try and make those two outside players work hard to get inside. So obviously, Mason Mount on one side and um, Timo Werner and the other. I actually think that Thomas Tuchel he 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 lined up similarly. I think the last time we played, we had a we had a conversation in the lineup preview about whether or not we were going to see verner playing as an outside forward and have it as a center forward as it turned out. And I think the idea behind that is that he wants to have a level of fluidity and he wants like quick players who can carry the ball but I actually don't think someone like verner is is really um tricky enough to play that sort of situation. I don't think he really gave Dallas any problems and Dallas just had to sort of stand him up and then and see which way he went and just track him. Uh, and I think maybe Hudson-Odoi was would have been a better decision from the start in that sense Um, and also with Havertz as the centre forward you if you are funneled wide you then I I don't think Havertz is an out and out target man in in the way that we would think Um, I mean obviously not the way that Lukaku is Havertz does have a good header on him but like again I think that that was that decision was more about moving around quickly and fluidly and I just don't think that, that Chelsea were able to do that so I definitely think that the decision to play Dallas, uh, deeper was, was, was based around, I think that, that sort of sense of, right, want someone who's a little bit more, as you said, defensively solid, um, and who can maybe carry the ball out if, if we do get the ball in those in those wide areas? Um, and I think yeah, Shackleton probably wouldn't have done that as well. Um, and as you said, like Shackleton is 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 a better technical player than Dallas. So if we are going to be doing build up in wide areas, then then you want it there. But I think just the second point as well is that, and we'll go on to talk about the forward press in the next question. So I don't want to do that one to death. But I wonder whether or not because the the, the strikers play quite wide in the press, whether or not um, there was a, the feeling that that. Rafinha would offer a little bit more protection to someone like Shackleton and you're not going to see like that outside centre-back running towards you quite so much I don't know but um, yeah those are just my thoughts. Interesting
2: thoughts I've not really thought about it in the context of the press because because I felt like we made a decision really not to press high but but yeah I
3: think you're right I think there is something there about that protection that that Rafinha could offer yeah. Well let's think about the forward press because I think that we tried something different yesterday than what we've seen Um, so um, yeah. Let's let, firstly let's let's just talk about the the general pressing overall because at times we were remarkably passive in our forward press with Thiago Silva being left alone on the ball. I just wondered whether or not you thought it worked.
2: Yeah, I, I did think it worked actually. I'm not dogmatic about whether we press or not as long as what the, as long as the other thing that we do works or or is kind of logical, I guess. And and for me, I, I guess the idea of leaving a centre back with the ball and um particularly a center back you know all three of their center backs did carry the ball deep into our half particularly early in the first half so th- there was there was a slight kind of worry there but but i don't think um tiago silva is um is somebody who's going to particularly worry you by direct dribbling with the ball and kind of running through the middle of the team. So I think if you're going to choose one of the centre-backs to allow that space, I think it's it's reasonable that it's him. And, and I guess if, if if by choosing not to press as intensely, that means that everybody else is marked, that does limit his options in terms of press and relies on good movement from Chelsea's forward players and midfield players to pick up the ball. And I... I, I, I I do think they were quite limited in terms of what what they did there. I mean, obviously he's a he's a he's a great passer of the ball, but if the movements not there and the options aren't there for him to pick out a great pass, and then he's just going to really struggle. So, as a kind of tactic, um, I, I'm quite happy to let let centre backs have the ball, um, and and I expect that we'll see. And you know, we'll talk about it later. But I expect we'll see similar things um, on Tuesday night. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought this kind of you know we 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 did snap into a press when he passed the ball out to either of the wide centre-backs um, and that, that meant that that limited to a degree their impact on, on you know in terms of getting on the ball and um, I thought we marked in midfield pretty well for most of it I know there were occasions when we were pulled out of shape but that's always going to happen occasionally and um, so I, I thought overall it, it worked pretty well and I was quite happy with it as a, as a tactic.
3: So just to, to clarify what, what was happening, is, so usually when we're playing against the back three, we'll have one forward who is responsible, well this season anyway, who's responsible to, to sort of press between two centre-backs, usually on the left-hand side of, of the Leeds, of the field, looking at as lead as a, as a Leeds fan. Uh, and then you usually have Rafinha or, or Dan James as the outside right forward, just tracking that. The, the, last, centre, the last back centre back in centre particular. Back, yeah, and what happens is, is that if the if the striker who's responsible for two centre backs is pulled out wide, you you may see the the attacking central midfielder pulled in. Um, to to mark the other one. So so say Dan James is on the outside centre back and he pushes across to the centre centre back. You might see someone like Tyler Roberts push onto the outside centre back, or uh, alternatively you might see the outside uh, the, the winger on that on that side pushing out. So you might see Jack Harrison going for it. So they pass the players around quite a bit. But what seemed to be happening yesterday was um, just having the centre the centre forwards just wide on the outside centre backs, leaving the centre centre back free. And the movement that was done was a lat- was a vertical movement from. Um, from Roberts between Jorginho and and Silva I actually thought it didn't work particularly great um, because I felt that that Jorginho is a smart enough player to to just sort of see the pl- the, the ball moved on, and that they just had an easy pass into the midfield, and he would then just feed it through to the fo- uh, the wing back on either side. And I think in the first half, that's why we struggled to control the game because I think they just broke the first line of our press quite easily, transitioned through the second uh, phase, and then and then was was sort of getting to the final third, and things were breaking down. Obviously, in the second half, they they pushed a little bit, we pushed a little bit higher. Um, and that that did cause problems because I, I think we, they started putting pressure on um, the, the the centre backs and, and and everyone converged a little bit and I thought we would, we looked a lot better when we did that.
2: Yeah, I thought the press in the first half was more about stopping them from causing us major problems, and then in the second half, our press was more about causing them problems, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I I, I can I I agree. Jorginho was able to get onto the ball a few times, but but. I suppose if that's, if even then if it's a situation where he's picking the ball up as deep as he is and everybody else is marked and as long as they're marked well, and which they were by and large, especially after the first 15 minutes, then, then I, don't,
3: I don't think it caused us too many problems if that makes sense. I definitely think in the first half we saw all three of the center backs get into really advanced positions at one time or another. Yeah, we did. And I think that's probably why we we sort of went a little bit higher in the second half because I think the realization was well that this this sort of slightly more relaxed forward press is just getting played around ev- at every opportunity. Let's at least at some in some situations um push push a little bit higher and um I think w- when we did that we did we did cause some a lot of problems. Um it's because it's difficult. I mean these are elite center backs and and to be pressured it, it makes you realise like how hard it is to play against a press when when elite centre-backs are, are, are struggling under the pressure I actually thought Thiago Silva was an interesting decision to play as well I did, I thought that he was, I don't know, I think that he was um well he's just old isn't he I think he's the oldest player in the in the Premier League as things stand and I, I think there's a few times where he was showing up particularly in high pressure but also defensively there was a few times where there was a Rafinha chance which was offside but you could see him just jumping in because he knew there's no chance he was going to get anywhere near, and a few things like that um, where he he actually played he actually played uh, Rafinha no he played Roberts onside I think for the goal maybe um, by quite a considerable distance um, again that's because he's old and he just he has to mark a little bit well he has to position himself a little bit deeper just to make sure he can get where he's going and he didn't get there anyway right so um, yeah I, I, I thought that was an interesting decision by, by Tuchel as well but I guess you, you when you have Thiago Silva you play Thiago Silva um, let's talk about joffy um, we have to talk about Joffy. Just a 10-minute cameo for him um, from him, but he's looking really dangerous off the bench, uh, and he looks like the first dangerous sub we've had off the bench for forever, right? I I'm struggling to think. I mean, maybe Jack Clark is the last um, correlate we have in that respect. So, yeah, what would you make of jo- Joffe?
2: Yeah, uh, quite often Bielsa's substitutions are not really about changing the game, and mo- uh, not in a dramatic way. They're more about trying to fix problems that have have come up through the course of the game but I think it is always nice to have that kind of wild card option off the bench and someone who can make a real tangible difference through moments of individuality Um, and I thought you know he was he was really um, a a 10 minute performance you can't really draw too many conclusions from it but but certainly the run that he made for the goal was smart and showed a real striker's instinct Um, and that's something that we haven't necessarily seen from him yet in terms of, you know, we get we get the ball into a really smart wide area and, and he makes a, a similar sort of run to the one that Bamford might make for example, so that was great and then there was the moment soon after the goal where he picked up the ball quite deep um, and yeah, they were terrified of him and backing off him and and he, he it, what I liked about that was that he realised that he wasn't just going to be able to, to run so um <coughs> Yeah, so he turned back and and the pass that he pulled out, um, which I think was for Roberts or Click, one of them anyway, up, coming down the left, um, and the pass that he found was was beautiful and put us again into a much more dangerous position. So I, I, yeah, I, I think I think he's he he's definitely hope well. I hope that he's really played himself into contention for being kind of first cab off the off the rank in the next few games. Um, I don't expect him necessarily to start, but I, but I do think that that he's shown that he can make a real tangible difference to the game that he comes on in. And it, it is really great to see because quite often, you you know, the substitutions you've thought, well, we may fix that problem or we may fix that problem, but actually there haven't been protagonist substitutions. They've, they've been about, they've been quite reactive ones usually. So,
3: yep. Yeah, and like you say, it's a 10-minute cameo for him and given that there's the goal, you, you lose about a minute there and then there was a penalty and we lost about four minutes there. So, so in the end, you're talking like very, very little open play um, stuff for, for us to see what he was up to. But yeah, I agree. The two touches that he had, um, the the goal and then that that run, that dribble down the field and well, carry down the field and then the really nice pass, really good stuff from from him. Uh, and I yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think in... What I've taken away from watching Joffy playing in the seniors is that that he he just does have that that jeunesse quoi factor that that we we like to see in players, right? Which and which a lot of our players just don't have you have you have Rafinha and 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 then maybe Rodrigo and then beyond that like you're not you're not thinking anyone's just going to produce something out of nowhere um and he does have that he he really does he's the sort of player who you know can pick the ball up outside the box create a chance for himself and and score it um in terms of some of maybe the so we saw him for a big decent chunk against Spurs right and and there's been some games we've seen him in in the league cup where I think when you're playing him within the system, I don't think he improves the system necessarily. Um, I think I would rather have Bamford in from a system perspective. Um, But... I also think that you know that he's still he's still a young player and and there's obviously a lot of a lot of um, development for him to do. So I, I'm I'm not sure that I want to see him starting games at the moment because um, I I think that you can you can maximize his efficiency by playing him in like the last 30, 20 minutes of a game, um, bring him on against tired legs and and have him have those moments and increase the likelihood of those moments happening. Maybe I'm a little bit more skeptical about playing him from the start. I think we saw him against Spurs from the start and um yeah a lot of the time it l- we're not seeing that sort of the sort of stuff that we want from our center forward across the board
2: yeah and I think if if it was clear that that joffe really clearly improved the system at the moment um and and I do think that he you know he's got every chance of learning that stuff but but if he did improve the system at the moment he would be starting uh every game because yeah, because I think Bielsa would prioritise that over anything else. But I, I agree that at the moment his his he is best used um, as an impact sub, and and given that there has been like a kind of perceived reluctance to use him in that. Even in that role over the last few weeks, I was, I, you know, I'm really delighted that he got the chance and that he showed up well when he got
3: it. Right, let's talk about um, Mateus Click quickly. We've already mentioned him in the intro, but um, I've just written something about Click on the on the running order. So, um, I, I guess the, the the problem with Click is that the only reason we're talking about him, I suppose, is because of the the penalty decision at the end of the the game. Um, what did you make of Click's performance on a rewatch?
2: Uh, I enjoyed it actually. I thought I thought that he um, he, he always is the same. Is the same. He, he, he picks up the ball. He circulates it well. He. Um he makes really intelligent runs he can make quite unusual decisions in terms of like the little turn that he made just before our goal no one was expecting that so he created a little bit of space for himself which created a bit of space for Furpo which created a bit of space for Roberts right so he you know that that kind of stuff in terms of manipulation of space smart passes smart runs he did all that stuff really well there were a couple of times when he was crowded out by uh, by Chelsea um, where he didn't move the ball on quickly enough but I don't think those were really kind of you know impactful in terms of the game, I thought he gave the standard click performance really, and unfortunately, part of that standard click performance is that he's not great defensively and and part of our as you alluded to earlier on john one of the one of the problems with our tactical approach is that we can make hasty challenges and and that that's the the kind of challenge that he made for the final penalty is nothing more than just someone trying to rush to get the ball um rather than kind of holding him up and and but but he's not the first player we've said that about in the last few seasons and I doubt he'll be the last you know um but I, I don't hold him necessarily responsible he gave away a penalty yeah but but you know I think if you're going to take his upside which is the stuff we talked about in terms of manipulating the ball manipulating space then unfortunately every player's got a downside as well and and th- that's just the way it is I thought I thought he was really good um, and it's a real shame that that he gave that penalty away because that means that the narrative has completely shifted on, on his performance and means that we forget about the good stuff that he did within the game yeah
3: totally agree uh, right we've got time for one listener question uh, so Dougie Jones asks are the recent performances I'm thinking Leicester onwards good enough to be optimistic looking ahead to the second half of the season Darren what do you make of that <sighs> I'm not quite optimistic yet I think I think there is
2: some I think I would cautiously say that there has been some improvement and and what I mean by that is that we've we've managed to make a couple of chances which look a bit more like the Bielsa team that we have grown to you know know over the last few years we've made a couple more chances in wide areas I still think that that by and large we are still a bit too hit and miss Um. that 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 the problems that we've got are the problems that we've got i. e. that we still really struggle when teams press us and that, that we haven't really managed to find a consistent way around that, whether whether that's about kind of deciding to go that bit longer and and or or whatever. And that that our press doesn't seem to consistently be able to influence games in the way that it once was. But I do think there is some improvement over the last few games. And while I'm not kind of saying that I think we're playing great, I do think that we are going to be in a position where, where we still still are better than, than the teams below us. I, I I think we will be okay in terms of whether we stay up or not this season. And really, that that's really what this season is about. It's about staying up and about if we can at all do this to stay out of trouble for the rest of the season and um, so we will be hovering around that zone where we are now I think for most of the season it will become a bad season if we get pulled into a, a real desperate battle and it will be a fine season if we manage to stay within a place or two of where we are now
3: I guess my take on this is that it, it's it's hard to read anything into the game yesterday, um, I think I said in the the DM before, um, before we went live Darren that actually in terms of the if you look at the game just in terms of situational um, phases of play, the difference between this being a, a good performance where we lose two three because of a couple of penalties, and this being you know a five one loss like we had at the beginning of the season against Manchester United, is for me down to the opposition in the final third. So in in the in the Manchester United game, um, we conceded one point five xg. We conceded five goals. In this game, we conceded two point eight. Uh, XG, okay. Take off the penalties, 1.3 XG, um, and we concede. We concede the one goal from that, and I, I think that's just the the difference between whether or not you're playing a team like an elite team like Chelsea at the top of their game or not. Um, that there's every chance that you know, with a, a bit of bad luck, things go... And I, I know that sounds ridiculous, given that it feels like a, the most unlucky performance we've had this season. But I think in terms of those phases of play, in terms of them getting the ball through our forward press, getting it into the final third, usually against an elite side, you would expect, I think, a little bit more um, uh, productivity from them in front of goals. So I, I just fail to think that that, that 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 we can necessarily read too much into this performance. And then if you're looking at the performances before, I thought against Brentford... Like, we were lucky to get a result there. Um, we, we, at 2-1 down in, into injury time, you don't expect anything from that. Palace, we relied on a penalty uh, in, in extra time. Um, and if you take that into account, one that's one XG for, one XG against in that game. You could argue that should have been a draw. Brighton, I think we were lucky to not lose that game. Um, Spurs, we collapsed in the second half once Spurs started pressing us. So, like, that, and then we're back to Leicester, which I think was a good performance. The Leicester City game was a good performance, despite the fact that again, um, the, the the underlying numbers do suggest that should have been a draw. So, uh, I. Again, I don't want to just become the the prophet of doom and gloom that I am, but I do think it's worth just contextualising what's happened in in this last run. And I do think it's worth saying that um, I I just wouldn't read too much into this performance and and take anything from it.
2: No, and I I don't disagree with that uh, necessarily. I do disagree with your point about this could have gone... Like obviously, any game can go anyway, right? So sure. of course, Chelsea could have scored, and from the, the situations they created yesterday, as few as they were, I do think that that we didn't expose ourselves to being caught in defensive transition yesterday in the way that we did in that Man United game, and I think that was the difference. That I thought we were we were so often pulled, stretched. Um, up the length of the pitch against Man United that that, that with the players that they have in those areas, they we're always going to create those situations and I don't think that happened yesterday um, maybe I'd have to look back and, and see but I'd, 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 yeah, I'm inclined I to think I just think there's a
3: lot of situations where they get in behind just up against our back four it's literally a line of back four that you're playing against and against most elite teams you expect them to generate something from that and again, that's a, it's a counterfactual history it's it's not really worth yeah. thinking about too much but I do think that, that you know, we we've still we've not generated a huge amount of, of chances ourselves. They've generated that, I mean there was the Havertz chance where, where he gets one on one. There's also the Havertz chance before that from a corner where he puts the ball over that was just after just after the the one on one chance. It was yeah, around yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, those two, those two, like, are bigish chances, and I agree they didn't really generate much apart from that. And um, I think they actually, I think their game plan has been bad both times under Tuchel, which is which is interesting. Uh, and I think on that basis, like, it's unlucky to to not do enough to get a draw going into. I think any time you're going into injury time and the result changes, it's unlucky. Yes, yeah, there's, of course, to, of there's course. no two ways yeah, about yeah. that. But I do think that it's worth sort of sort of saying. Let's not get too carried away with this because I don't really think the run since Leicester has been that good. But what I would say, actually, something we were talking about yesterday is that, one, the big difference between the beginning of the season and the recent run of games is we've seen less Rodrigo. And I genuinely think that that's a big part of why we're looking a lot more solid. Um, We're not creating problems ourselves through our structure we're creating problems through stupid decision making which I think is an improvement from where we've been at the other thing to say is I think I think we've been playing Calvin Phillips injured all season or certainly not off on 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 it and I think that's been causing us problems too and I think we looked a lot better yesterday without him on the field so yeah, like whether or not you take that as as optimism going forward, in that he might actually have a bit of a rest now and might get back to back back to fitness, uh, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think now is as good a time as any to have him out when we're playing in games where you wouldn't necessarily expect to be playing that well.
2: Well, we've talked about a lot this season, haven't we, about how you know uh, how there's a kind of dichotomy between the the fan base and and the team feeling like they need him on the pitch, but but him clearly struggling with one thing or another and you know uh, i think i think a rest will do him good if he's out for you know 8 weeks or whatever if he can heal his body in that time then 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 i think that's good and i think Forshaw proved to be a more than more than able deputy yesterday and, and 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 um in terms of the defensive side of things and i do i do really love the way that Forshaw uses the ball from that
3: position um so you know i don't have any any problem with with having him there I think it's also worth having an argument about whether or not we look better in a, against two men midfields without him in the team too. I think there's been a few times when I think he is too much of a pivot player and, and defensively is too much of a of a central player. that Sometimes I think we look better when we have two eights rather than a six and an eight in, in these sorts of games. But that's an argument for another day. <laughs> Before we completely lose our listenership, let's move on to the preview of the Manchester City
1: game, which is happening on Tuesday.
2: Okay, so yeah, John spoke to Jack McCormack about wanting City to be seen as the best team in the world, about Cancelo and about the intricacies of positional play.
4: So Jack, hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
3: Yeah, it's great to have you on. Looking forward to to chatting to you about the Manchester City game that is coming up for Leeds fans on Tuesday. Just to kick off, then talking about City, it's been another season. It's been another slowish start for City. Obviously, last season took them a little bit of a while to get going. Um, why do you think it is that takes them that it takes them their sweet time to get going in seasons?
4: Um, well, I somewhat agree with that characterization because the Tottenham game was the worst game of the season um, initially, but I think that can be attributed largely to missing personnel because Cancelo, Bernardo. Um, and it was Rodri, both, weren't, uh, well, three of them weren't available. And I think they've been the three best players this season. So I think it's partially attributed to that. And, oh, well, yeah, it, I feel odd saying his name now, but Mendy was playing as well. And I think he upsets balance a lot. So it's, say, the fullbacks went inverted, so there was less transition protection. But otherwise, you know, subsequent to the Tottenham game, you had five, uh, two back to back five nil games, which I think. Well, oh, yeah, and then Southampton and Crystal Palace been the other Premier League points dropped this season, in addition to Liverpool. And South- Southampton was largely due to chance conversion rather than anything else. Still sustained pressure, sustained dominance, and against Palace it was a red card. And it's just mm-hmm. contingencies like that, I don't think, are fully representative of the whole season. So while I agree it was a difficult start against Tottenham, and definitely if you're talking about last season's slow start characterisation is 100% there. but this season... I think you've had, well, a couple contingency issues like Southampton, just chance conversion was poor and uh, Crystal Palace, red card. Liverpool, I think everyone just agreed it was a fantastic game, both very high quality teams. I think City edged it out because they were better in the first half. But again, yeah, we're getting into very minor debates, draw fairly representative and the Tottenham game yeah, I'd attribute that largely to personnel.
3: The story of the season so far is Manchester City's remarkable defence. And I was looking at the, the current rates that they're they're on, and you would expect at the, the rate that they're going so far, third of the way through the season, that they'll be conceding around 0.65xG per game, which is remarkably low. So why do you think they've become so solid this season?
4: Um, I would say sustained pressure. And I'll try and build on that because it's a bit of a buzzword. But essentially, Pep has these concepts of like heuristics such as the 15-pass rule, which is to consolidate possession and grant a degree of control when structuring a rest defence. So essentially, you want to constantly pin back the opposition, which limits potential counters because, well, they have so few men forward that you aren't able to break. And especially with the inverted forward, it's, I'm not inverted forward, sorry, inverted fullbacks. In Germany, it's quite a renowned story of, to deal with you know, the counter attacking play, which is common there, he inverted fullbacks to give well, a greater degree of central compactness, so counterattacks be funnelled out on the flanks. So yeah, linking to what I said previously, I think Mendy not playing as frequently, Cancelo predominantly playing on the left and therefore inverting, and Kyle Walker being comfortable dropping into both a back three laterally and inside has helped in that regard. And I think Everton was probably the best example this season of just an effective counter-press and really constraining an opponent. But I think that also links to another thing, well, pertaining to Leeds is, let's take Everton as an example. They're very reactive opponent so i think again a team like lead sustaining that level of dominance is going to be unlikely so if you compare like the leipzig game the champions league which was 6-3 i think city are a team which adapts to their opponent's play style quite a lot because you're unable to consolidate possession in central areas and sustain pressure if the opponent are pressing you have because space will naturally open up so you have to move the ball quickly mm. so in circumstances like that it's i like to call it the vicissitudes of verticality which is a bit yeah, it's a bit pretentious, but I think it <laughs> sums it up and it's a nice alliteration. So essentially, um Juan uh, Juan Manuel Lilo, um, Pep Guardo's assistant has this quote of the quicker the ball goes forward, the quicker it goes back, which essentially encapsulates the defensive issues in like transition-based football, which is as you're progressing forward, the spaces in between the players become less controlled, less compact as everyone's moving at different intensities. So the potentially well the potential conditions for a conducive um transition can be instantly reversed if a turnover occurs so if you're playing a team likely to man orient well you attempt to manipulate that space in attack to have greater amount of spaces to play you know the Cruyffian principle of make the pitch bigger but then those conditions can reverse if a turnover occurs so they're less controlled so you're more likely to get games which are 6-3 rather than 2-0 there's not necessarily that it's It's not bad defending when a game's 6-3. It's just adapting to the opponent because obviously the ultimate aim is to win the game. And if that is taking advantage of more risky attacking situations, but where you still analyse the cost-benefit ratio to be beneficial, you exploit that. So yeah, I'd say a large part of the defensive record is a happiness to sustain possession and take low risks when the opposition is reactive and just build a solid base to defend transitions and just the frequency with which they face Opposition like that, few teams are willing to press. Say hi and Leipzig, yeah, six three. I think is the best example this mm. season of that occurring.
3: In terms of expectations for the season, are you expecting City to win the league, and what do you expect them to do in in, in tournament? I know tournaments is a bit of a toss up. Depends what happens on the day, but are you pretty certain that City will go on to win the the Premier League this season.
4: Yeah, I think I'm potentially overconfident, but even then, it's focus on especially with the Champions League. Focus on materiality can be. A bit off-putting. I'd say something abstract like they'll be the best team in the world, and whether that it's I think in the Premier League that will relate to just winning, winning it. It's because over the course of thirty-eight games, the best team typically does win at least. Well, with how good Liverpool have been this season, I think it will be tight. But I think City will be the better team, so I would hedge maybe seventy, eighty percent winning the Premier League and Champions League far too unpredictable. But if they do get put out, I'd anticipate they would be the better team in the tie like the Tottenham game from a couple of seasons ago, the Lyon game from two seasons ago, I think. Whereas I think against Chelsea, they were just bested in the final. But, you know, I'd anticipate them to at least look dominant throughout and probably win the Premier League.
3: I usually spend some time talking about the summer signings who have been pressed so far with our guests, but um, obviously a relatively quiet summer for, for City. Um, you brought in, I say you, but Manchester City <laughs> brought in Scott Carson as a backup goalkeeper and then obviously Jack Grealish as a as an outside forward. Um, do you think that's a testament to how strong the squad is at City?
4: Well, yeah, it's kind of a running joke, the sort of capacity to spend 40, 50 million on backup defenders, et cetera, with the, the financial backing they have. I think, well, Grealish was a huge financial investment and improved the team through having a more centrally oriented touchline presence on the left, you know, based around drawing the opposition around winning duels infiltrating space essentially kind of like a left sided mares option. Which and I think that sort of description demonstrates the strength of City and that an a hundred million pound player is just a nice versatile option to add to the attacking arsenal. Mm. So yeah, I think the squad really quite strong. I'm struggling to think of any real issues with depth again. It's someone like Nathan Ake can look slightly off at times when he's wrong, but he's still a forty million pound substitute. It's there's only a certain amount of luxury you can afford. So mm. Yeah, no, I think squad's relatively strong, yeah.
3: So let's talk a a little bit about Pep Guardiola then. What would you say are the basics of Guardiola's system if you were to describe them to someone who didn't watch them, thinking particularly of like where City are at the moment?
4: Okay, so when sustaining pressure, they typically adopt like a 2-3-5 shape with the inverted fullbacks, touchline wingers, and attempt to maximise central control while uh, maintaining constant width through that so the touchline wingers are designed to generate what in positional plays called a qualitative superiority it talks about it quite a lot in pep confidential with regards to Ribery and robin at Bayern, but it essentially just seeks to progress territory through looking for an outlet which is wide so they typically have the most space that they can progress a bit then pass it backwards to the fullback fullback and play a switch and it's essentially just very slow progression when you're sustaining pressure using wide outlets and hope on you take advantage of any spaces which occur, created through like a dropping forward, something like that. So it's comfortable holding the ball, gradually gain territory, generally don't rush to rope the transition do it in the final third, do an overlapping wing back, a cancel across from the um, just outside the box, things like that. So nothing particularly risky in possession against a reactive opponent. Whereas against someone like Leeds, they generally move, well, they move to this 4-2-4 style shape um, well, when building deep with Edison circulating the ball. I say 4 2 type because it's like ball-sided, so it's still nominal 4-3-3, but usually the ball-sided centre midfielder will drop deeper to provide support and then play a wall pass, things like that. So the wing-backs typically, well, they widen during the setup to stretch the opposition more because, well, the pitch is vertically stretched when you're playing deep because the halfway line forces the opponent to defend that far back. Whereas Typically, when you're higher up, you can defend more compactly because you have offside as a tool to limit the size of the effective pitch so since the wingers are higher to vertically stretch you need to establish a connection from there which is why the fullbacks need to be wider whereas in sort of sustained pressure sort of modes you can have the inverted wingbacks as links to the winger because the vertical distances between them are shorter so uh, well, ball progression time just happens quicker less chance of interception and things like that so you need the fullbacks wider when building deeper so i'd anticipate it, i'm unsure whether to say Cancelo will start left or right, I still think left because of the benefits he offers in the final third there. But just I'd say it's a transition between a four-two-four and a two-three-five generally. But against most teams, it'll just be two because they don't even try and press them high. But someone like Leeds, I imagine, you'll see wider fullbacks, wider centre-backs, centre midfielders dropping deep to support things like that.
3: Uh, in terms of this season compared to previous seasons, have you seen much of a change from Guardiola's Man City?
4: I would say they're using left to right, overload to isolate is more common, uh, more commonly, which essentially seeks to draw the opposition to one side to transition to the other, under-loaded flank. And I think that links to probably the two primary personnel changes this season, which is Cancelo starting almost every game left-back, because well, when cutting in on his right foot, he can offer better switching angles compared to, well, left-foot play like Zinchenko last season or Mendy last season, who, well, Zinchenko... Played similarly positionally, but didn't have the same sort of technical capacity to play those long switches, nor had... Well, it's you're playing around the opposition's compactness when you're playing a right-footed pass like that, whereas a left-footed pass, you're having to go above it, so it's having to float more, so the ball travels more slowly, things like that. So just the transition isn't as quick. And Bernardo Silva is the other revelation this season. He's probably the primary underlapping runner. So underlapping runner links to gaining cancel space, especially when he wasn't left. He's played on the right and left this season. More inclined to play on the right against a high-pressing opposition like... Well, Arsenal's the example that comes to that in my mind. So he could play on the right against Leeds, but generally underlapping runs because they will discombobulate the centre more because, well, it's the central runners haven't tracked them, so that creates space for Grealish to move into. or well, Grealish or Foden or whoever or whoever's playing on that side, and then a central player has to drop deeper, which then creates a space for Cancel. So I'd say their play's been very... Cancelo dominant this season, which has kind of worked into the whole sustaining pressure thing. Although against Leeds with a man orientation, I'd say underlaps are probably a bit more dangerous because well, they're more inclined to just fully track them down the line and then space will open up for in swinging crosses. So I'd say that was a danger which is why I think Cancelo might play left back. But other than that, I'd say yeah Bernardo Silva's greater in- integration has kind of acted in microcosm of the changes because of his off-ball intensity and well, the underlapping manoeuvres, and I'd say, well, linking to the the defensive aspect you mentioned earlier, the off-ball intensity and and constraining the opponent has been a massive, well, it's been a massive improvement from last season, and so too has creating space in the left half space. You've already
3: mentioned the fact that the City seem to have two shapes um, when they're when they're playing this season, I think this. Uh, I watched the uh, the first half of the Villa game, and they they seem to be doing what you were talking about, where it looks like they're playing with more of a double pivot than a single pivot. Um, do you think that that will be what will happen against Leeds?
4: Um, so against Villa, it's a rigid double pivot. I at least the reason I theorised behind it was because well, Gerrard teams like to remain extremely centrally compact. So because of that, you want your fullbacks a bit wider so they can establish a stronger connection to the winger. Similar to deep build-up, but it's happening around the halfway line because they get additional space because Villa are trying to crowd out the centre. And then from there, you look for the quick transitions that you do deep. But rather than doing them deep, you're just doing it at the halfway line. So because of that sort of reasoning, I don't think it'll be as rigid a double pivot. So I don't think it'll be Fernandinho Rodri. But I imagine it'll be similar to the ball-sided midfielder dropping, playing a wall pass, deep build-up. So you'll see, I'd anticipate it would be Gundogan Bernardo. So I'd imagine seeing them both dropping deep to support, probably more like Bernardo than in the end. and then you'll have Rodri supporting both well, it dep- it all a lot of it's circumstantial because of well, it's just the way positional play works. So you don't want a, I don't want to put, prescribe too much to names, but yeah, I'd imagine it would look like a double pivot quite a lot during deeper build up and then as you progress up the pitch it'll start to look like a single pivot with two more advanced midfielders. So I'd anticipate oh well, yeah, just positional rotations being Really, quite common because when you're playing against the man-oriented its side, you want to take advantage of well, again, another positional play buzzword of the dynamic superiority. So, because you're the team in possession, you have the initiative, and in the opposition who are marking, you're always reacting to what you're doing. So, you want to keep the game state flowing as much as possible to take advantage of whatever space is left and gain just those little little in steps on the opponent. So, I'd anticipate just a more fluidity positionally than you saw against Villa. Say.
3: Uh, just a quick question about the false nine phenomenon that everyone likes to talk about with City. Um, obviously, there was a strong likelihood that Harry Kane would go to City last summer, but in the end, it never materialised. What impact do you think it has on the Guardiola system to be able to play with a traditional striker in particular? So do you think Pep would use one if he had the option? And how do you think we would have seen Harry Kane use this season?
4: I think it's important not to be constrained by limited well, conceptions such as striker because I don't think Pep Guardiola himself will put too much emphasis on terms like that, at least in practical uh, implementation. I think it may be things like interviews use it as a descriptive term or maybe as a point of juxtaposition. So someone like Kane, I presume, would have acted similarly to Foden up front and will just how he drops deep to support the midfield. And then you look into the more individual differences. So someone like Foden has a better turning radius. He's probably more likely to go out wide and support play. So these well, with the um, extra turning ready. He's going to probably try and beat a man one-on-one more, or well, beat his mark one-on-one more frequently, whereas Kane would be more likely to receive play back. So Foden, or well, I'm using Foden as an example, but Ferran, whoever they're using up front, who isn't a nominal striker, is likely, well, because of the skill sets associated with that type of player, well, they're just more likely to fit into a more fluid, dynamic game, which against someone like Leeds is beneficial. But I imagine Kane would just introduce a greater degree of especially central rigidity, to the team so he'd still have similar vertical movements to a lot of the well, sub, uh, false nine type strikers but horizontally I think is where you'd see the difference, he'd be less inclined to support the ball side, he'd say maybe rotate with Grealish, rotate with Maris, things like that so I think it would increase rigidity to an extent but the overall role would be similar and then in and around the box, probably because of the skills he has, you'd see him well, just score more goals relative to other City players, there's no real outstanding goal scorer in this City team so I'd imagine just The number of goals, I imagine, would be similar. It's just more of them would be taken by Kane because he has a greater central emphasis compared to someone like Foden or Ferran.
3: I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk about Rodri with you because Rodri has become one of my favourite players in the Premier League. I think before this season, but particularly this season. So why do you think he's gone under the radar during his Manchester City career so far?
4: Um, He was quite poor the first season and I think well, if you watch the Villa game, he got exposed quite a lot in the double pivot when he was having to push higher. And I think it's it's just aspects such as him being slow, which probably media, well, the more traditional media will pick up upon because mm-hmm. they like to emphasize aspects like pace probably more than well podcasts like this in certain certain extents at least. So I think characteristics like that and, well, yeah, he just plays a lot of simple 5-10 yard passes crisply quickly. It's none of his actions in microcosm are typically outstanding. It's just or just holistically, they build up and they round up to just a good performance most weeks. And whether he just doesn't really become a standout, he isn't. I think, especially well, in, in Britain, it's the type of defensive midfielders that get lauded are well, someone like Fernandinho will make a tackle breakup counter attack. So I think it's just, it comes back to like a conception's questions of what you expect from a defensive midfielder. And I think people who will have some like deep line playmaker idea of a defensive midfielder in their head generally appreciate what Rodri's done this season. So I think it depends on what your prior conceptions hmm. of what a defensive midfielder should be and how you interpret how well he's played this season. And I guess going under the radar links to probably dominant conceptions which exist in Britain. How do
3: you feel about facing Leeds this time around, given that last season Leeds posed problems for Manchester City on both occasions?
4: I know they're always an interesting opposition to face because it's they're just it's so completely different to what you'd see elsewhere in the Premier League. I think what Leeds do particularly well against Man City is that they're able to force possession into the first third part a lot. So there's a lot of possession recycling because, well, when you're man oriented you well stop any if you if you're capable of getting tight, you stop any sort of progressive movements there. So there's a lot of backwards passes and well Leeds typically leave again from what I've seen. So please tell me if I'm wrong, but it's typically the far side centre back that gets left free in the marking scheme, right? And then the player from the defensive midfielder will kind of. Curve his run so that he's covering the passing lane, and then seek to push the defensive uh, centre back outside when he receives the ball. Yes, yeah, so yeah. just that type of pressure, especially when you're not inclined to go along direct and take advantage of spaces, or just if you have like a, a low-risk passing style that isn't looking to go centre back to winger directly, the ball can get bogged down in defensive areas quite a large amount of time and then it's, it's when you don't have that sort of strike that makes those infiltrating runs as well, attacks are probably going to be a bit slower. And City's attacks are more based around getting the balls to wide areas, then coming in, then passing it, overlap, drilled cross, um, fullback, And it comes down to the more transitional style. Because I think it would, depending on how well actions are executed, because it does become more individualistic. So I expect people like Bernardo, Foden, Grealish, if they play, to be making more runs individually than they do otherwise, because there's more space, especially in between the second and third lines, which, if they can take advantage of it, could end up being disastrous. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like 3 4 nil. but at the same time, it, it's a much more unpredictable game than if you're playing a team like Everton, Southampton, who seek to more zonally constrain and things like that, because you, you have a more predictable mind map of how the game's going to play out, whereas again, Leeds, hmm. it's, it's just, there's far more contingencies thrown into it because of well, how proactive the defensive approach is. Oh, I say proactive, it's a fundamentally reactive approach with man-oriented, but in that it forces the opposition to adapt around them. Mm. And especially, well, isn't, I think, well, in Italy, that sort of defensive style is seen more often. And we've seen a well, man sitting against Atalanta, like, results like 5-1. So it wouldn't surprise me if things something like that did happen, but it's always a difficult game to predict, mm. would be my, I guess, final point.
3: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on, on that one. We've seen... Obviously, in the first game that, that Leeds and Manchester City played in the Premier League was a game where Pep s- almost seemed to go quite transitional uh, or tried to go transitional mm-hmm. and realised that going toe-to-toe leads tran- with Leeds transitionally was going to cause them problems. And and, in, and I think in the second half of that game, they sort of set, settled down, were much more patient in build-up and were just happy keeping the ball and playing the game to their strengths. So, um, yeah, I, I can totally hear what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the, the game itself. So in terms of injuries and suspensions, what, what's the news for for City?
4: Well, the only long-term injury is Ferran Torres, who at least won't be back this year. Otherwise, Aki and Foden are doubts for the Wolves game. Whether that continues to the Leeds game, unsure. It's always mm-hmm. difficult to anticipate these things. And suspension-wise, there's no suspension. So Ferran's the only player that will definitely be missing.
3: Mm. Yeah, we should say we re- we are recording before the the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there is that game that's going to come. So something could happen in that game. Um, do you want to hazard a guess at a lineup?
4: Um, I can try. Yeah, I'd probably. I'm gonna go well. Edison and goals. I expect John Stones will play because well because the far side centre backs often left left free. He's the best ball progressor in City's team. So I think having a centre back his profile against Leeds makes a lot of sense. Then probably Ruben Dias. I'm gonna say Cancel left back, Walker right back. Rodri, Bernardo, Gundogan. I'm gonna. I think someone of Sterling's profile, if there's space to infiltrate, will be useful. So I'll say Sterling, fooling Jesus. That was mm. the guess.
3: Yeah, and mentioning John Stones there, I think he put up like nearly one k's worth of uh, progressive yardage in the in the two nil win. Well, yeah, win last yeah, no,
4: unfortunately. I I
3: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I expect that to happen. <laughs> um, and I don't ever ask for predictions, although you have you have hinted at a few. But you've, you, as you've said, you know this game could go. Could could go either way. Um, it's hard to predict, but I'm interested in your thoughts on where the game will be won or lost.
4: Um, yeah, I think it will be down to how effectively Leeds press and how well just the intensity with which the players can carry themselves. So I think Leeds are I'd anticipate it will be in centre back to forward drills and whether they can win the ball off the dropping board or force it backwards quickly enough. And then, well, how good the midfielders are at tracking someone like Bernardo who drops deep. Then comes in because there'll be quite a lot of like up back through type sequences so i imagine it'll be one predominantly and how effective the central man markers are for leads Mm. i think that's where the crucial jewels will sort of commence
3: well jack it's been great having you on where can our listeners catch what you're putting out
4: i say yeah just on twitter that i'll have access to everything i write i'll post it there so it's just jack um, underscore 77 yeah
3: cool well thank you so much for coming on today it's been a real pleasure having you on
4: yeah no thanks for having me
2: John, I noticed yesterday, because I've got him in my fantasy team, that Cancelo has suspended for the Leeds game, which brings me a little bit of joy, I have to say, because I, I, he's, he's quite good, isn't he? <laughs> and that was a technical old chat with Jack, wasn't it? Do you enjoy that?
3: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I know it's very in depth, and he thinks very deeply about Manchester City. I mean, Jack is is not a Manchester City fan. He is a Pep Guardiola fan, so ah. I'm sure that will put people off immediately. But I think that's great, and and yeah, he has just a depth of insight into into Pep and Pep ball. So I really enjoyed getting into the weeds around it. But yeah, lots of lots of really interesting things in there that he said. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think they'll. I think I might have to read uh, what was
2: the book Pep. Confidential. confidential Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to read that and uh, try and do a bit of you know, how can you expect <laughs> to get the most out of these things if you don't do the background reading, John? That's yeah, the question, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Good stuff. So yeah, let's quickly go through some of this stuff because I, I am aware that we're already deep into time. Um so as expected, City will likely play a four three three with two three eight. So we'll set up in a notional four one four one. And as ever, the exact defensive shape will be dictated by the position the opposite opposite that by the position the opposition players take up which is why everyone seems to be confused about where Tyler Roberts has played in the last couple of games um, so I just want to yeah a few questions that I've got here John so we've seen wingers play as strikers when we've played the two forward formation as we did yesterday but against Palace when we played a 4-1-4 one we saw Tyler Roberts play as the lone striker so are you expecting to see that again?
3: Yeah, interesting. I think given that City will play with a deeper, they'll play with Rodri deeper, and then two three eights. That means we'll we'll sort of be closer to a four two three one um, when it when it actually works itself out on the field. So the question is like, who do you play in that lone midfield position behind the striker, and who do you play as striker? Um, and yeah, I'm not sure how I would answer that at the moment, but maybe we will see Joe Gelhart playing as a lone striker with Roberts behind him. Um, what, what, what do you think the other options would be for, for that? Well, I guess it would be... <laughs> you're not going to enjoy me it's saying Dan this, James. John. Yeah, it would be Dan
2: James with Harrison and Rafinha. I don't particularly see it, and I don't think it would work especially well. But he's played as a lone striker already this season, I think.
3: It just feels like forever since we, um, we, we played against a back It does. Four. <laughs> it, it, no, I say that, as palace, it's obviously Palace, but...
2: But that, yeah, so Robert's played the lone striker role with, with James on the left and Rafinha on the right. In, in that game.
3: Because obviously Brighton played in a four two three one. Yeah. I think we played Dan James as a yeah. lone striker in that yeah. game.
2: Guess that is an option. So we we're, we're looking at one of Roberts, Gelhart or James to play that lone striker role. Yeah, how
3: do you see that playing out? As you say it's gonna be it's gonna be James with Roberts behind him, um, I think. Because I think you play Roberts deeper because of his press. I think he's a smarter presser than James, I think James is James does a lot of the legwork when you're playing against centre backs, where you've just got to get between players quickly. Um, whereas I feel as though Roberts is is going to be smarter in those in those some of the deeper transitional presses as well. Uh, in terms of how I see Dan James as a lone striker, I just, I don't like it. And I I and I don't really know what to say beyond that. But I, I think the part of the issue here is that, like you've said, we've got three options. You've got Tyler Roberts, who you probably want to play a little bit deeper. You've got Dan James, who isn't a striker. And then you've got Joe Gelhart who... However, you want to put it is, is a 19 year old who hasn't really had much um, game time yet. So um, maybe we will see Gehart. Maybe this is a sort of game where you can kind of say, "Well, Manchester City, what's what 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 forgot to lose? Um, let's let's play him." But I think that we'll probably go with. James with Roberts behind him and bring Gelhart on off the bench
2: Yep, I think you're probably right So how are you feeling about our approach and build-up play at the moment John um, And I guess In this game against Manchester City How should
3: we approach our build-up? I think similar to the way that we approached this Chelsea game, um, I think we will Drop at every Available opportunity whenever they're attacking And I think we'll try and get forward At speed and try and find Space behind them and that's, the, that's obviously the way that City play. And something that Jack talked about quite a bit, actually, was the the expectation that if you are going to play um, against teams who are going to be quite transitional, you open yourself up for being attacked on in transitions, but you also generate opportunities for yourself to attack back through a transition. Um, and I guess on the balance of the talent available to them, City would hope to be able to be coming out of that equation to the positive. Um, So I think that's what we'll be, we'll be looking for. It's going to be a lot of getting transitioned against, but trying to drop back into that deep block, which I think we did well against Chelsea and then, and then win the ball back and and just try and go, Go long quickly. Um, I think it may be a little bit more difficult against City than it was against Chelsea, but um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, City will generally look to try and control the game, and they, I think they will view it as being in their interests to try and keep it away from being a, a, a transitional game as much as possible. And we saw, as you mentioned to Jack, we saw particularly in the game at Ellen Road last year that I think it was around 70 minutes that, um, that Pep brought Fernandinho on and, and really killed our transitional attacks. Uh, in that game so like can we force City into a more transitional battle or will they just simply have the quality to control the game in the way that they want to
3: I genuinely think that the the best chance we have in this game is Pep Guardiola trying to do something smart Mm. Um, I know that's it's a sort of trite narrative that you know whenever they get deep in the Champions League he just does something really experimental against someone like Leon and ends up losing uh, and I felt as though in that first game against City in the Premier League, that's sort of what happened: is that he just allowed the game to get really transitional for a long stretch. As Leeds got back into it, and then they they changed things around, and they were like, "Right, we're gonna we're gonna start controlling the ball for the last twenty minutes." And then suddenly they looked a lot more dangerous. Um, I, I I guess the 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 qualifier for this is that I think last season we were better than we are this season. Um, and so that raises a question: Like, how will this look differently? Um, would a would a transitional game against City this time around actually work in our favour? I th- and I think that's up for debate. Um, but I, I tend to feel as though probably not this time around.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like we'd be able to like control the game by playing transitionally. But I do think it's our best chance of creating anything at all. Sure, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah,
3: you know, the big thing missing, Calvin Phillips, is big for a game like this because that's hit. That's him. That's his. Game that's his entire approach is being a good um, sort of firefighter in transitional games. Um, so I think whilst whilst yesterday I was happy to have Forshaw on the field uh, playing that role, I don't think he'll look quite so good against City when when they're going to be just sort of running through our midfield. Um, presumably it will at times. So yeah, I think there's there's definitely there's definitely caveats to be made per what happened last season. Um, but yeah, I think. I I think that we should try and force them into a transitional game because I do think that that's going to be the best chance that we have. Um, I don't think that we're going to get away with sitting deep like we did last season in the second half and of the season. And, uh, and I, I, we were playing 10 men, but I think we were we, at that point of the season we were playing quite um, passive football anyway uh, off the ball. I'm not sure that we'll get away with that two times in a row. Would, I'd much rather see us try and play transitionally and see if we can pick something up and, and see where we go from there.
2: And as we talked about earlier, uh, we really sat off Chelsea's centre-backs yesterday and particularly allowed one centre-back to to have the ball. And we also did that against Brentford, albeit we did it for different reasons, because I don't think there was any point in trying to press Brentford, because they would just pop the ball over the top of us. Um, And are you expecting a similar thing? versus City are expecting us to allow one of their centre-backs possession and make sure
3: everyone else is picked up? It depends on how much Bielsa thinks that the experiment in the first half against Chelsea worked or not. Um, I'm just looking at, again at the FB ref numbers and we've got 500 progressive yards from Thiago Silva so basically half a half a mile <laughs> of progressive distance from Thiago Silva which suggests that we didn't do a, a particularly good job of, of limiting the Chelsea centre-backs although I do notice that Azpilicueta only got 138 progressive yards, and Rudiger has only got 36.
2: But there were definitely occasions when all three of them popped up in our half on the ball, but whether they carried it there or not, I couldn't honestly remember.
3: Looking at the data here, Rudiger's only got three progressive carries, and Aspilaqueta's only got four, and Thiago Silva's, Silva's got 17. So, um, yeah, look, whether or not you want to do that against... I mean, on the one hand, City will be playing a back four, so it's going to look different anyway. Um, but we did see John Stones get basically 1,000 yards of progressive distance last season, uh, albeit against a 10-man a, a uh, leads. But I, I, I do think that we will probably not see the same sort of approach simply because of the structure. Um, I think we'll, we'll have one striker between the two centre-backs and um, yeah, it, it, it will be the case that, that, that the, the press for against the back four won't be that that different. But I do think that they will still try to attack us through the centre-back areas like they did last time. And we saw, I think we've seen certain teams do quite well at, at, at working this sort of thing. I think, and, and weirdly teams that you wouldn't expect to be good at this. So Southampton, Norwich, both us problems by moving the press side to side uh, and then creating space in front of one of the centre-backs who could then uh, exploit it. So um, Manchester City will be very good at doing that. So I think we'll see quite a bit of that. Just before I move on to the, the
2: final question, I just think it might be worth just running through a kind of predicted team or some something that we think might might look, what the team might look like. So obviously with Melié in goal, hopefully guarding his near
3: post at all uh, on Tuesday because it's... <laughs> He was badly at fault for that first goal yesterday. Do you think? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't know. I don't know any about, anything about goalkeeping, but I thought... He
2: he did he did that thing that he did quite a few times last season where he shifted his weight to his left in
3: in anticipation of a cross and then couldn't get back quickly enough when the ball came into the near post. Anyway. I think, I mean, because equally you can talk about Llorente in that situation. I think it would be harsh to blame him for that because there's, there's two Chelsea players in the box and it could go to either of them. And I kind of feel in that sort of situation... Like what do you do? You you've got to do one thing or the other, and if you do one, you get blasted. If you should have done the other or something like that, but I, I'm willing to accept that I don't know what I'm talking about with goalkeepers.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I view it as a, as a as a mistake, and and it must be if I
3: said that, right? Yeah, no, I'm happy to go with that.
2: <laughs> so um, I expect the back four to be. Do do we think Stroud will be fit? Maybe Stroud will be fit. Let's hope Stroud's fit.
3: Well, there was weird weird news about Stroud, wasn't there? That he got in, he was fine to play, but got injured in the. Game a warm up game the day before or something. And two bones in his foot had collided, collided and caused the yeah. caused bruise. <laughs> that obvious, yeah, <laughs> injury the the two bones in the foot collision injury that we we know so well.
2: Yeah, but they did say that it was just that inflammation hadn't gone down in time for the game, so that gives me some hope that it would be fit for for Tuesday. So we go, I think we'd go Alien at right back, Urente and Straker centre back pair, and Junior Firpo, who I thought played really well yesterday by the way um, at left back, and then you would probably go. Forshaw and dallas as the sort of double pivot yeah. with what roberts in in the more advanced midfield role um harrison left rafinha right and james as the
3: lone striker is probably what we think it would be right yeah with the option of maybe Gellhart and maybe, maybe james instead of harrison i don't know
2: i guess the one thing that we haven't really talked about is that if we do manage to contain City collectively, that obviously doesn't stop them because there are, are many-headed Hydra and they've, they've got, they could cause really significant problems with individual skill and dribbling and particularly with Grealish now in, in, in their, their team. So do we expect them to field a team with more dribblers than normal or do you think it will be more about uh, Pep really wanting to trust the positional play and, and ability to manipulate space?
3: Yeah, I guess the question is like what front 3 do they field? Mm-hmm. And I suppose it felt to me like Chelsea made the wrong decisions with their front 3. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what what Pep does with his front 3. I don't think we'll see much change behind that front 3, but yeah, well yeah, it, it, the the question is like Leeds are, Leeds are obviously going to try and sit deeper and and get back quickly into into that into a deeper block. And so it's going to be the same old thing for City. Is like, how do you break down a team that are sitting a little bit deeper? And we saw Chelsea just not do a very good job of that yesterday. Yeah, so I think that that he'll probably construct a front three with that in mind. I I'm I never really know the logic behind what Pep does with false nines. I don't know whether or not we'll see Gabriel Jesus play tomorrow I don't know if we'll see um, someone else we've seen like Foden playing there at times in terms of whether or not we'll see Grealish I mean they've just got so many options haven't they so if they start if they start Grealish in the left hand side of the front three they can bring Foden on with 20 minutes to play or 30 minutes to play to change things up right Um, they've got they've got Sterling someone who can like Get in behind quickly. Um, they've got Mares, who's someone who's uh, quite a tricky player and can can cut inside and score uh, on on his on his left foot uh, into the top corner. <laughs> so yeah, it's not a, it's not a great prospect. I, I I'm not sure how Pep will approach it. Um, and as I said before, like there's always the tendency for him to just overthink it and do something that that turns out to not work. Mm. Um, which I guess you could argue maybe. Tuckle has been doing when, when we've played Chelsea recently and I think I genuinely think if they just started Lukaku from the start and just transitioned into those areas and just shelled the ball into the box they would probably have comfortably beaten us um, but, but obviously that wasn't uh, in his thinking so um, yeah whether or not we see a similar thing from Pep where he, he thinks oh you know the game will be a certain way and then it isn't a certain way or it starts playing into Leeds' favour then uh, anything could happen I suppose.
2: And isn't that why we love football in the first place?
3: I think so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so where will the game be won or lost, John?
3: <sighs> uh, I, I don't know. I think the game will be lost at the Etihad. Is that is that? A- <laughs> that that's fine. I think I, I'm prepared <laughs> um, to accept that. No, look. I was very positive about Chelsea going into that game, and I think that there was a lot to be positive about with Chelsea. Like, like, like I said, that, yep. you know, we had said before that that Chelsea have been a team under Tuchel who have struggled against us more than a lot of the top six sides, uh, quote unquote. I don't know if we talk about top six sides anymore. Maybe that's just showing my age. But City, again, City. To be fair, are a team who we have caused problems to. Right? We we only we we only gave up two two points against them last season out of a possible six. So there's definitely there's definitely worth things worth being positive about. Whether or not we're going to be maybe as efficient in front of goal as we've been against them in the past season is, is another matter. But um, I do I do think that we do come in come out we come out of these games often feeling fairly positive uh, because they they always go better than we expect them to go, and we do pose problems for teams like this. And I, I think a lot of that is to do with the outlier. Um, status that Leeds have which is like often against teams like Chelsea and City oppositions will say well we're not going to win this game so let's just sit deep allow them to progress the ball and, and force them to break down um, a low block now we, we're going to do that to an extent but it's going to be it's going to be a much more aggressive I mean it's going to be a high press at times it's going to be a fairly aggressive mid Mid press at times, and it will be a fairly high, highly aggressive, like low block as well. Um, we don't give teams a lot of time and space on the ball, and I think that's these teams are not used to being harried in the way that that we harry them, and that that can throw them off a little bit. So, I, I do think that we we should we should feel positive that you know something could happen in this game, but we have just come out of a game where. I felt we played as well as we could and we were unlucky to, to, to lose it. So it, it is a really gargantuan task to try and get something out of this game. Uh, but we've seen it happen in the past. So I think we we should be sort of positive but realistic as well.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think it'd be good to, to, to go there and... Have a go at them and see see where we get. And I felt I felt like yesterday in the second half we had a go at Chelsea, and that's that's kind of what we want to see from Leeds, isn't it? That that they'll try and impose their style on the game, and you know, uh, and and up against the odds and and all the rest of it. So let's just yeah let's just see I think I think the one thing I will say about yesterday which we haven't really talked about is that the team really stuck together um, and 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 you, I know it's something you mentioned earlier in the group chat John as well but but yeah it, it was a real kind of battling committed performance um, and, and I'm, I was really happy to see that and we'll need another one on Tuesday if we're going to take anything from the game.
3: Yeah I think it's worth distinguishing between like performances at the level of like what's going on tactically and like the way that the game can unfold but also performances in terms of like, every individual doing what they've been expected to do and doing it well and I think that was really good about the Chelsea game I think everyone everyone worked hard everyone did what they had to do they didn't just fold over when when Chelsea went ahead um, etc and I think that that of anything is is something that we um, we haven't seen as much of this season, perhaps um, not not in terms of like desire or whatever. But I do think that we 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 made it hard for them uh, yesterday. It was a hard win for them, um, and I think that's that's all, that's all you can ask for in these sorts of games is that we make it hard for the opposition. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, dokes. So are you going to be doing a a tactical review of the Chelsea
2: game, John, or have you got time?
3: Yeah, I think I'll do the Chelsea game. Yeah. Maybe I'll wait and see what happens in the City game, but I think there's I think I will have a look at the that high press um that we engaged and and see whether or not we thought it worked. Um so I'll, I'll probably focus on that. Josh is doing a video on oh, He's put it out for a, a vote, hasn't he? I think Junior
2: Junior's performance was right, okay. winning last time I checked and I'd, I'd be interested to see that given that I stuck up for Junior publicly after the Brighton game and was
3: flamed for it so <laughs> why do we exist but to give sport to our enemies and laugh at them in their turn <laughs> indeed I think we'll do another lineup preview before the City game you yeah. and I
2: uh, yeah I would have thought so yeah that 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 sounds good to me um, so yeah look, look out for that we'll be doing one of them newfangled spaces on Twitter like two boomers trying to operate a VHS we'll be trying to work <laughs> (laughs) to to make it
3: work Uh, yeah so we'll be on we'll be on Twitter space um, 15 minutes after the lineups are announced so I'm not sure when the kickoff then then is but it will be 15 minutes and we'll be we'll be around 15 minutes I might invite a guest on so we might get a special person to so we'll do what we did last time 15 minutes just talking about the lineup and then get someone else in to just have a, a little bit of talk about how they're feeling about the game that sounds fun doesn't it
2: indeed it does other than that we will be back on Wednesday with probably another double header right because we've got Arsenal at the weekend so it'll be another double header where we'll we'll review the City game and preview the the Arsenal game. Um, but until then, enjoy the game. Have a great week.